0: Hello there, Sabers fans, and thank you once again for joining me for another uh, episode of the Saber Talk podcast. It's great to be talking to you again about another win. So, Sabers were able to escape from Arizona with a two-to-one victory. Jack Eichel and Jamie McGinn got the goals in the win. Um, Chad Johnson was was very overall very impressive in the win. Um, So a lot of good things to talk about after coming up with another road win, not that Arizona is a powerhouse, much like their recent road wins against Minnesota and Winnipeg, but any road wins are, are good for this team. This team actually has been very good on the road, very competitive on the road. They typically play a pretty simple game, keep it low scoring, keep it close. So they've been pretty impressive on the road. And alternatively, they've been very disappointing at home. First, I'll talk about Jack Eichel. I thought he was extremely impressive, and that shot from the point that he had on the power play, it really it, it shades of of Alexander Ovechkin, maybe Evgeny Malkin. He's really the type of guy, he has that type of talent. He can almost single-handedly make a power play dangerous, or single-handedly make his line dangerous, and we're starting to see every game a little bit more of his talent emerge. and see him being able to take over games with his talent alone. It's going to be really exciting to see where his his potential takes him and, and how much better he can really get, because I think there's still a ton there, and you see his defensive game getting a little bit better uh, every night, and you see him impacting the game more than just on the score sheet, more than just in the offensive zone, and you're starting to see that complete game develop. And I think he's... He's doing more than just about any of us could have could have possibly asked for or hoped. I think his offensive production is probably right in line with what a lot of fans were hoping, how he was touted as this generational prospect. But I think also at the same time, we probably expected this team to not have quite as much difficulty scoring goals. So it makes, it makes the offensive production he has brought to the table that much more impressive. So beyond Eichel, all the guys that really matter the most to this rebuild... So I'm looking at Eichel, O'Reilly, Reinhardt, Ristolainen, Pesek, Kane, Bogosian, all all of those names. They really all looked great. Ristolainen I'll talk about first out of that group. Uh, he played over 30 minutes in a non-overtime game, and, and that's extremely impressive in and of itself. But he really was able to take over the game. You could tell how much he was frustrating the, Arizo- the Arizona forwards, specifically Shane Doan at the end. You're really starting to see his physicality emerge, and he's doing that every night. He's frustrating opposing forwards, and not just forwards in this league, but but top, high-echelon forwards. You saw the same thing with, with Ovechkin. They were kind of going back and forth. And with Ristolainen, you're seeing a true number-one defenseman bud before your eyes. And for him to be doing it at this age, at at 21 years old, extremely impressive and not a ton of guys do that the defensemen typically take longer to develop and you might see this all kind of coming together when they're 23 or 24 not when they're 21 so his development has been has been huge this year and it's going to continue to be huge to have that that rock number one defenseman is so critical to be a perennial contender and now it looks like they have that piece and if they can surround him with with other good pieces on the blue line, which they've already started to do, then it's going to be a lot of fun to, to watch this team play defense and to see him get bigger and to see him impose his will more and more on, on imposing forwards. I think he'll become that, that complete that complete defenseman that not only can bring it offensively and can make the finesse play, but also is going to punish people in front of the net, make you think about coming in or against him. I think you're, you're starting to see that. I think there is still a lot of upside there for him. Um, Mark Pesek. This is his second game back, and he's he's fit right in. He, he's I know I've talked about this before, but he's a completely stabilizing influence. And to be able to have him on the second pair, playing his solid, you know, 18 to maybe 21, 22 minutes a night on the second pair, and to just not have to not have to worry about him. It's so nice. He's a great puck mover. He's one of the better defensemen this organization has had in a long time in hitting forwards and stride and really enabling a quality breakout. And I think that is the biggest talent he brings to the table. But he's solid in all aspects. He's gonna make the he's gonna make the right play. He's not gonna hit a lot of people. He's not gonna make the flashy physical play, but he's gonna make the the right finesse play, be in the right position and. There's a place for a guy like that in in any NHL lineup, especially in in my favorite team's lineup. So it's been great to see him come back and not look like he has any rust, and to look like he's going to be that solid number two, number three defenseman that you need to complement your number one, and that he's going to be a a piece here looking long term. To stick with the defense, uh, Bogosian, he's looked like a new man next to Ristolainen. I know I discussed this in my previous podcast, but how awesome would it be if he can be Risto's long-term partner? And those two are are really looking nice nice together. So I talked about how Risto Linen is still his, his physicality is still emerging. He's still learning how to be a physical force in this league, but that that's not necessarily his bread and butter. And that's not his his instinct isn't always to to punish somebody or to lay out the big hit um, or to always rub people out in the corners. But that is Bogosian's First instinct. That's his bread and butter. So he's been able to bring that physicality consistently uh, on their pairing, and they just complement each other very well. They have different skill sets, but at the end of the day, they both can skate. They both can move the puck. Um, they're they feel comfortable with the puck on their stick. So it's not like Bogosian's a, a complete bruiser. is a complete finesse player. They both have that overall element to their games. Just the the way that they lean is different, so that Bogosian leans more toward the physical side, and leans more toward the finesse side. But that's what makes him uh, a potentially great pairing. So if he can continue this level of play, can stay healthy, which has been his, his issue throughout his career, to be able to have and Pesic, and Bogosian as a solid three, looking forward to next year, looking beyond next year, it would be huge. And... Bogosian and Kane that trade is hugely important to the to the rebuild that ideally both of them both of them pan out and become the players that that Tim Murray expected when he made that deal so to bridge into Kane the other part of that that trade I thought he came and he has been playing very well recently really since I would pin it around that away Winnipeg game when they won Um, he's He's brought his speed, physicality, and forechecking to the table, and he, he really brought that all tonight. So he did draw that penalty shot, which was a, a borderline call. I I could have gone either way, and I wouldn't have been surprised if they had, if they had called a penalty on it. But I obviously was in favor of, of them getting the penalty shot call. But he missed the net on it, and he's done that so much this year. Uh, where he's he's gotten opportunities but hasn't been able to hit the net. He's really been snake bitten for the vast majority of the year, hitting a lot of posts. Um, but I do think that eventually it's going to even out. He's never going to be a high-percentage shooter by any means, but I think that he's going to start potting more of these chances, and you're going to see more and more of the fan base waking up to the overall game that he's bringing to the table. But even when he's not scoring, he's valuable. And, to have a guy like him that can just terrorize opposing defensemen on the forecheck because of how fast he is and he's always skating hard, it's it's great to have. And I think he's he brings a good element next to O'Reilly and Reinhardt, who are both tenacious in, in their own ways too, but they don't have that kind of size-speed package that, that Kane has. So hopefully we'll see him potting more and more of those chances and when he does, he'll be look he'll look more and more like a legitimate top six left winger, which I think he ultimately will be, and I think that he already really is. Um, some some lesser known or I guess lesser talked about uh, players, but I, I think Marcus felino has been playing really really well recently. I had talked about in one of my earlier podcasts, probably in a couple of my earlier podcasts, how my patience had really started to wear thin with, with Marcus, and I had always given him the benefit of the doubt. That he's, you know, he's, say it was two years ago, he's 22 years old, he's a power forward, they take long to develop, but then you'd, he'd disappear for 10 games at a time before having a couple good games, and once he had those couple good games, he'd disappear for another 15 and then you come back the next year and try to make the same excuses for him. He's 23. Um, power forwards take a long time to develop. It's kind of the same logic over and over and over again. And so this year, to, to see him become invisible for even longer stretches of time than that, he he he'd only had a handful of, of really impactful games the entire year. But... Recently, he has played very well, and he and, he and Johan Larsson have, have looked good together. I wonder if maybe they can be a long-term a long-term duo. And Brian Gianta, another guy who I gave a lot of grief to earlier in the year, I think he's fit right in on on their right wing. They've been a, a very good line. They were incredible in possession terms uh, uh, tonight. But at the same time, they passed the eye test. So it wasn't just possession. It was, was getting in. He's getting in the forecheck, making guys pay, making them pay for any indecision with the puck. Larson's tenacious. Gianta always skates hard, and he he's tenacious, though he's not physically imposing by any means. Um, but Foligno's been able to do that pretty consistently over this winning streak. He's brought his physicality, and he's he's skilled for a big guy and if he can if he can bring if he can skate hard, bring the physicality to the table each night, I think he can really be a catalyst from the bottom six. And obviously he easily could, after the such a good games, become invisible again and we don't hear from him the rest of the year. So I'm not I'm not all of a sudden proclaiming Felino to be a great NHL player by any means. But if he can keep this up and finally develop that consistency then I'm not going to be on the bandwagon of moving him in the right deal after the season because he's a restricted I think He deserves a place in this lineup. I will move toward the other side, which is this guy. We've got to stick with him. We've got to figure out a, a fair contract for both sides and figure out what his potential really is because he is still only 24 and power forwards do take a long time to develop. But we'll see if I get, if he bites me again with his, uh, with his inconsistency and we see him after this nice, you know, five game stretch that all of a sudden he he reverts back to invisible Marcus. Um I had talked about Larson as well, but he and Flino have been the real catalysts from the bottom six recently. And he's he's settled in very nicely in that third line center role. And if he can be the long term third line center here. It allows Gergensen's to be pushed to the wing, gives you another top six, top nine wing option with with Gergensen's and Larson. What I like about him is I think he's he's accepted his role and he's he's tenacious. There's really no other word that describes him as perfectly. But he's always getting under people's skin. He's you know he's not a he's not a huge guy by any means, but he's always all over the puck. And um, he's skilled enough where he can pot a few goals here or there, though that's not his best. It's not his best attribute, but he also brings a quality defensive game. And hopefully, we can continue to see him grow in that role. And if if, if they can solve that third line center spot, just takes it's just one less thing that that Murray has to worry about filling out in free agency, and one more position they can have filled out by a. Younger, cheaper option than it would take to go out and say sign a vet, a vet third center in free agency. Um, Jamie begins becoming a, a major topic of conversation. I see a lot of people lean toward wanting to bring him, bring him back, and I've I've liked what he's brought to the table. I think he fits well in that Eichel type, that Eichel type of line that's going to get a lot of offensive zone starts that's not going to be really to, to play much of a role. So he's fitting well there, but what my issue is with with him moving forward is he's not really good enough defensively to fit in on a shutdown third line, which is what with the way this lineup has been constructed, it looks like that's what they want their third line to be. Is more of a shutdown uh, more of a shutdown defensive line rather than a matchup offensive third line. So if you're going to use your third line that way, there really isn't a place for McGinn in the lineup. And when you've already got significant money tied up to Tyler Ennis and Matt Molson, who are both pretty one-dimensional offense-first wingers, I don't think you can justify making a large investment in Jamie McGinn. And I do think he will get paid on the on the free agent market. I would I would look at maybe something like a, a four-year, four million per deal. So four-year, $16 million deal. But I I don't think that the Sabres really are in a position right now where they can make that kind of investment in him. If they were to move Tyler Ennis and or Matt Molson, then maybe it'd be palatable to to re-sign him. But with the way the roster is constructed right now, I don't think there's a spot for him. So what I would advocate is trade him while his value is highest, trade him leading up to this deadline, um, get an asset for him. if. Circumstances change in the off season, and say Ennis is used in a deal to uh, to bring in a defenseman, for example, or if they can get out from underneath uh, the Matt Molson contract, or both, then maybe you look at bringing McGinn back. He seems to be having a good time here. I do think that uh, Buffalo is going to look better down the stretch, and it's going to be a more uh, a more attractive option for for free agents to come to, and they'll see, you know, the potential to play with either O'Reilly or Eichel or Reinhardt and how much better, especially Eichel and Reinhardt are going to get, how this team is a team on the upswing. So I think this, this uh, city will be a more attractive uh, destination for, for free agents. And McGinn have, seems to be enjoying it. I don't think he'd be opposed to coming back at that time. But I think that the right move is to sell and to sell McGinn and see what happens in the offseason. Maybe you bring him back later. Um, another similar topic I've I've heard discussed uh, throughout the fan base, throughout the Buffalo media is is Chad Johnson and what happens with him? Do they try to bring him back? Do they move him at the deadline? Do they let, do they let him walk in free agency? And I think you've also got to move Chad Johnson when he's got some value when you can get say a third round pick for him or something. I'm just I'm guessing at his at his trade, but he, he'll have value out. We've seen it. In the it was same thing with the Sabres moving, Jonas Enroth, um, Michael Neuvert. Uh, they got something equivalent to about a third-round pick for what amounted to a quality backup goaltender for the opposing team's playoff run. So I think you see Chad Johnson have about that value, and once again with him, if, if you think he's the answer as the backup, you can always try to bring him back. But I think that, that backups like that are a dime a dozen. And um, you can easily find one on the free agent market for a pretty reasonable price for say about a, a million to $1.5 million per year. You can see it. I'll bring up Neuvert once again, but uh, Philly was able to sign Neuvert to that type of contract. And he's really become, he's challenged Steve Mason for, for that job there. And he's put up incredible numbers. That's just an example of the type of guy you can find in free agency. So I think it'd be foolish to, Resign him or go getting an asset for him at the deadline. Um, and then maybe you can look at bringing him back in the off season. But I Mark, depending on what happened with him the rest of the year, but I think with what he showed early this year, I think he's going to be ready to step in next year as the backup. Not saying that's just go that route. Maybe they think that he should get another year of, of number one time down in Rochester, which I would be completely okay with. I think the ideal situation would be to get, say, something like a third-round pick for Johnson at the deadline and then look in the offseason and, and evaluate your options, evaluate what Olmark's Mark's done, and evaluate who's out there, and you can get a quality backup. And you could even get Johnson himself um, for a pretty reasonable, pr- reasonable price in the free agent marketplace. So my answer for Johnson is, is pretty similar to McGinn. And specifically about Johnson's play tonight, I thought he played very well. He gave up one-week goal, but he made some big saves. He had pretty good rebound control all night. And um, I know I had, I had hypothesized before um, in my previous podcast that Leonard would be the goalie on Monday night. But they ended up going back to Johnson after Johnson had a, had a really nice game against Washington. But it'll be interesting to see if they go with Leonard with, or with Johnson on Wednesday, Colorado, which is their next game. I'm, I'm not really sure. I'd probably I expect them to want to get Leonard another game, but Biles must seem to like to ride the hot hand, so I wouldn't necessarily be surprised if it was Johnson again on Wednesday and keep keep riding him until the streak ends. Um, I I thought that Mike Weber also had a very good game, and he's Fit in pretty well next to next to Pesic. I know they've they've played together before, and that's usually been a pretty solid pairing. But I know I talked about in my last podcast about how I thought that bringing Weber out of the lineup would make the most sense when everybody's healthy, when George just comes back from his injury. But McCabe next to Cody Franson, that I don't really like that pairing. I, I don't think they complement each other very well, and so if especially if they want to keep the Weber-Pesic pairing together, which I would understand because they've played pretty well together. I think it makes sense to put Georges in the lineup and to bring McCabe out. I think Georges and Franzen complement each other pretty well. I know I'd said that in my in my previous podcast, and I'd wanted to put McCabe and Pesic together because they played together earlier in the year, and I thought they looked pretty good together. I think they complement each other pretty well because um, McCabe's going to be – a guy taking a few more risks and Pesic's gonna be the safe, steady partner. But with McCabe not having played very well recently and going through some up and going through some ups and downs, I think ultimately they will send him down. Um, we'll see if that comes to fruition. I could complete by moving him up to to Pesic's or Weber's spot, bring Weber out of the lineup. And they can defend it as it's a developmental year, which is what I was saying before, that you want to see McCabe getting getting made. He's probably part of this core moving forward, and you really want to, to put him in big spots and see how he reacts and give him every opportunity coming down the stretch here to, to sink or swim as a top four defenseman. But... With how he struggled recently, I could I can completely see them going that route where McCabe goes down and Georges steps into that spot next to Franson. What I don't want them to do is to move George's back next to Ristolainen and then move Bogosian back down the lineup, um, because I think that 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 runs counter to that runs completely counter to this whole developmental year thing. And I think that part part of that is going to be can we get a legitimate first pairing moving forward. And Bogosian and Linen could be, could be that first pairing. So it'll be interesting to see how, how that whole situation plays out. And Georges could be back by Wednesday. We'll see. I, uh, he made the road trip with the team, but they haven't said one way or another if he's going to play, if he's expected to play. So we'll see by then. There could be a decision on this as early as then, but... It could also be later. It could be after the road trip when they ultimately ultimately decide what to do when George returns and and finally forces their hand. So um, Wednesday, the Sabres will be going into Colorado, and the big story in that game is going to be Ryan O'Reilly and how Colorado traded him. They haven't really realized any immediate dividends from that trade, but basically that trade is going be, to be the huge talk on, on both sides. And Buffalo fans are very happy so far with, with Ryan O'Reilly, that he's been able to step in and be the number one center right off the bat. He's the team's representative in the All-Star game. He looks like a future captain. They were able to get him locked up on a pretty fair deal right away. So everything's worked out pretty well from the Buffalo end on that deal. And there's still a ton of time for Colorado's end to – To pan out. They got a lot of futures back, and so you're not going to see in year one those futures necessarily pan out. I still really like Nikita uh, Nikita Zadorov's potential to be a top pairing defenseman in this league. I think he's got all the talent to do it, and I think that he will ultimately do it. He hasn't taken quite the same meteoric path as as Rasmus Ryssalainen, but very few defensemen do. So... I still like his chances to pan out as the centerpiece of that deal, and they got some other good pieces too. The 31st overall pick and J.T. Comfort, those can both turn out into um, quality NHLers. And Grigorenko, we'll see what what ends up happening with him. I do still like his upside as well. I would've, would have would would have liked the Sabers to have held on to him, but obviously it made sense to to give him up in that in that O'Reilly trade to be able to get. You know a stud known quantity like like O'Reilly. So that's gonna be the big story heading into the Colorado game. I expect probably the same lineup unless Georges comes back from injury. Doesn't look like any of the forwards are gonna be coming back for that game. And it's really a toss up to me at this point whether they're gonna roll with Johnson again or or go back to Leonard. So I almost I can make a, a great case for it either way. I can see if if you want to go to Leonard and say you don't want him to sit on the bench too long, you want to make sure he's getting his games in, just came back from injury, et cetera, et cetera. You want to see what you've gotten him. Uh, we want both guys to get games. You could say a lot of things like that. But with Johnson, you can you can say we want to ride the hot hand. Um, he deserves to get another start. So it could go either way on, on that point And I'll, I'll be interested either way. So um, – yeah, that should be that should be a fun game. It's gonna be fun to see O'Reilly going back. I'll be interested to see how the how the fans treat him and Colorado's always a team that I like to watch play uh, Tyson Barry is one of my favorite players in the league uh, su- such a great skater from the back end and one of the few guys in the league right now that really pushes pushes from the back end that's always looking to jump up into the rush. Um, there are a handful of handful of players like that but in today's structured game. It seems a lot rarer and defensemen are more likely to, to be cautious and to stay back, but he's definitely not like that. He's always looking to jump up into the play, and I think it's a lot of fun to watch. And then obviously um, Matt Duchesne, one of the fastest players in the league, tons of talent, tons of skill. I like watching him a lot as well. And then uh, Nathan McKinnon too. And then you've got a legend like, like Jerome McGinley on the wing. So there are a lot of elements to that team that I that I like to watch, or one of my one of the teams I like to put on on the West Coast after Sabres games are over. I'm typically up pretty late, so uh, and I'm also um, located in the Central Time Zone, so I don't have to stay up quite as late to catch uh, to catch West Coast games. So Colorado's a pretty fun team to watch. It'll be nice to nice to see the Sabres go against them, be able to see some of my favorite players in this league. Uh, some of my favorite non sabers players in this league. And to see how how O'Reilly reacts. I expect a big game out of him. I think he, he steps up in situations like this. Not that he hasn't really stepped up in the vast majority of games this year, but I think when the pressure's on him, when the spotlight's on him, he he flourishes. So it'll be another test to see if this if these uh road sabers keep up keep up their win streak. And I wouldn't be surprised. Colorado's they can be pretty porous defensively, so hopefully can can provide some offense against that team, which is where they've that's where they've struggled the most probably throughout the years is being able to score early, being able to score. Period. But in this recent stretch, they've been able to score pretty well, so I'd I'd hope that they're able to continue that against a, a relatively poor defensive team in in Colorado. So um, I should have a podcast out. After that game, um, that's probably going to be when I have my next one. But thank you so much for listening and enjoy the game.